At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, as we gather this morning, I, I am just reminded as we think about these graduating that while it is for the next generation, following Jesus together with us to the glory of God, that's true of our high school students. It's also true of the younger children. And just at the beginning of June, we're going to have our VBS that is coming around, and we're really excited for that. But one thing just to make sure everyone is aware of, VBS this year, registration has to happen by June the 1st. And so if you have not yet signed your kids up or those in your neighborhood up for VBS, now's the time to do so. We're really looking forward to VBS week just a, a couple of weeks away. Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we have been in a new series that we have called The New Way. And this series is walking through Galatians chapters 3 and 4. As we have seen in this series, the new way of Jesus is greater than the old way of the law. And what all that means and how it connects to our lives is what we're exploring through Galatians chapters 3 and 4 inside of this series. Now, last week in this series, we saw a number of different eras in salvation history. The first era that we saw was the beforehand gospel era, as the Apostle Paul calls it in Galatians 3.8. And that was the time of Abraham, where God came to Abraham and gave him a promise and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing. And God secured that promise himself. We also saw another era of salvation history that Paul refers to. And that's the era that we're most familiar with. That's the era of the Jesus gospel era, the era that began with Jesus' earthly ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, and is the era in which we are now living, an era where God also gives us a promise for our salvation and for us to embrace that promise by faith. But in between the beforehand gospel era and the Jesus gospel era, there's this long extended period that is the era of the law. And one of the things we saw last week is that the law, referring to the Old Testament law, is not something that saves anyone. And so if it doesn't save anyone, then what's the point? What's the purpose? Why did God give the law at all? Well, this week we're going to see Paul provide an answer to that question by looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And it's important for us to reflect on this because the Old Testament is not an insignificant section of our Bibles. If you got a Bible with you, you might take your finger and put one finger after the book of Malachi and the other finger around the front of your Bible and then kind of hold it up. And some of you are going, I can't do that. I've got a phone. That's my Bible. I get it. Um, So I'll, I'll give you a demonstration. Look at how much of the Bible is in this Old Testament era section a section that talks about the law, a law that cannot save anyone, but yet God was very specific in in giving it and preserving it so that you and I might have access to it even today. What's the point if it wasn't for our salvation in and of itself? We're going to find the answer to that question today as we look at what Paul has to say in Galatians 3. Now, before we do that, I want to provide an illustration that maybe will help us understand this concept, and it has to do with a $50 bill. Now, when I pull out a $50 bill, I need to make two clarifications for you. 
Because some of you are hopeful that this is going to be a door prize. And the answer to that is, I'm really sorry, this is going back in my pocket, okay? Others of you are going, wow, pastor, you're rolling large today with that $50 bill. For If you're thinking that, you just need to know that I got this $50 bill for my 14-year-old son, all right? So <laughs> anyway, but imagine this $50 bill and, and think about what, what, what we have with this. Now, if, if I were to look at this $50 bill and I were to expect this $50 bill to be food, how valuable would it be? I mean, if I were to take this and fold it up and tear it into pieces and stick it in my mouth and chew it and swallow it, how valuable would it be? I would go, that's kind of disgusting. It's kind of gross. I mean, it seems pointless as food. If I were to take it down and have a scientist or a dietitian evaluate it, they would say there is no nutritional value in that for you. And so if I am expecting this $50 bill to be food, then I will declare it to be worthless. But we all know that that's a silly thing to say because a $50 bill never tried to be food. You might be able to buy food with it, but a $50 bill is a $50 bill. It's valuable for other things. And understanding why this bill was created helps us use it appropriately. For the same thing is true of the law. We cannot come to the law and say, you must save us or you are worthless. To do that is to expect the law to be like the $50 bill, expecting it to be all things. But God in his grace and mercy has given us the Old Testament law for a different purpose. What's that purpose? Well, we're going to see that today as we look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Hopefully at the end of our time, you will have a better grid for interpreting and understanding two-thirds of our Bible. So turn in it to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. I want to read these verses for us, and then after I read them, we'll back up and make a couple of observations about it today. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 19, Paul continues and says, Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, friends, in those few verses today, we're going to see three things that will help us understand the purpose for which God gave us the Old Testament. Now, the first thing we need to do is understand what the Old Testament is not. In order for us to not expect the $50 bill to provide nutrition for us, we need to understand that it is not food. And in order for us to accurately understand what the Old Testament is, we need to understand first what it is not. And we've seen that illuminated by Paul to us throughout our study of Galatians. What are some of the things the Old Testament is not? What are some of the things it cannot do, according to Paul, in what we've already seen in the first two weeks of this series? Well, the first thing the Old Testament cannot do is give us the Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit come and dwell within us in a permanent way. The law itself cannot do that. 
Paul made this clear in Galatians 3, 2, when he said to the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the Galatians had to answer. We, we received the Holy Spirit into our lives, not when we did everything the law required, but we received the Holy Spirit into our lives at the moment that we believed in Jesus Christ. And Paul said, absolutely. That's because the law cannot give the Spirit. Well, what else can the law not do? The law also cannot justify. Read, save. The law cannot save us. Paul makes this clear in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11 when he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified, no one is saved before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The, the way to salvation is through the promise of God received by faith in Jesus. That, that's where salvation is found. It's not found in our ability to keep the law. Paul makes that clear. And then he goes on, we saw this just a couple of weeks ago, to tell us that inside of the law is actually a curse. It brings with it a curse. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. In other words, if we rely on the works of the law, then we will receive the due penalty of our inability to live that out, which is find ourselves under God's judgment. And so we see that the Old Testament cannot do a number of things. But when we look at the verses that we just read in verses 19 through 24, we see something else about what the law is. What is the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament is temporary. That's right, it's temporary. He says in verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come. Who's the offspring? We saw this last Sunday. The offspring is Jesus. So the law had a purpose to shepherd us, to guide us until Christ came. It served a very specific role inside of that diagram of salvation history that we have seen. The, the law had a temporary shelf life that God had given to it. Not only do we see that in these verses, but we also see that the Old Testament is less personal than the New. It's less personal than the New. And we, we see that in these strange words found at the end of verse 19 through verse 20, when he says it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Now, how many of you fully understand everything that that verse just said, right? Let's be honest, that's a confusing verse. And if I were to bring out all of my Bible commentaries and we were to look at them, you know how all of them begin their discussion of verse 19? These are confusing verses. So let's just acknowledge that these are hard verses. But also let's, let's understand that they're not impossible to understand. See, what is happening here is Paul is pointing out that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the, the law of the Old Testament came through a less personal means than the New Testament. See, in, in the New Testament or the era of the promise, both in the beforehand gospel of Abraham and in the time that Jesus came, there was not an intermediary, but God as one came to his people. He came to Abraham and he came through Christ and made a unilateral promise. He said, I will hold up this covenant through my own strength and through my own power. That's what God said to us through the time of Abraham and the promise that was given to him, as well as when Jesus came in the flesh. But when the law was given, it was given in a less personal way. It was given through a series of intermediaries. Now, to understand that, we not need to look not just to what it says here in Galatians 3, but also what happened in Exodus and also as it is described in the book of Acts. 
What we see is that when Moses went up on the mountain, angels delivered to him the law that he then brought back to his people. So think about how many layers of intermediaries there were in that delivery of the law. It went from God to angels to Moses to the people. Contrast that with how the promise came to Abraham. God showed up and God talked to Abraham. God said, look at the stars, Abraham. So shall your descendants be. Think of it when Jesus came. Jesus didn't send another. Jesus came, God in the flesh, so that we might see him directly. And so what we see in the difference of this new way, this new covenant that is found in Jesus is it is a a more personal way. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law was less personal than that. Not only that, but we find that the Old Testament is impossible for us. The standard of the law is set high. It's set high on purpose because it's given by a holy God. But our efforts to try to attain the standards of the Old Testament will find us fighting a battle that we cannot win. It's impossible for for us. Paul makes this clear in Galatians 3.22. He says, but the Scripture, talking about the Old Testament Scripture and the law, imprisoned everything under sin. It revealed our brokenness, our sinfulness, and our need. That's what the Old Testament is, according to the verses that we just saw this morning. But it's also helpful for us to look beyond just Galatians chapter 3, to look to the book of Hebrews to find something else out about the Old Testament and the, the covenant and the law that it describes. Because the book of Hebrews was, was written to try to help us understand the old in light of the new. So what do we find out about the Old Testament from from the book of Hebrews. Well, one of the things we find out is that it's obsolete. The author says in Hebrews 8, 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and growing old, it's ready to vanish away. The Old Testament was given for a specific purpose in a specific era of salvation history to accomplish a specific goal among God's people. But it's been replaced by something better. Not only that, but the Old Hebrews talks about how the Old Testament is less than, in some ways, the New Covenant. We see this in verse 6 of chapter 8. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. There's something superior to the New Testament and the promises that God gives us in them compared to the system that he set up inside of the Old Testament. And also we find out that the Old Testament was a shadow and not the substance. Speaking of all of the accoutrements of worship found in the temple and the tabernacle and all of those things, the author says this, they they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. And yet we today, as Greg reminded us of in our time of worship, have the opportunity to, to go and worship our God in spirit and in truth. He's come to dwell within us. We don't need to go there to worship him, but he has come to us and he dwells within us. So, friends, when we think about the contrast of these things, we see a vast difference between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New. Now, when we think about all that the Old Testament is not, it's possible for us to begin to get a little snarky about it. And I want to tell you that that is not my intention or desire at all. Because who gave us the Old Testament? 
who preserved it so that you and I would have access to it today. Our Heavenly Father who loves us. Our Heavenly Father who sent His Son to die for us. The same Heavenly Father has, has given us that, and He gave us a lot of it, right? So, so when, I, when I talk about the Old Testament, I, I'm merely trying to summarize what the New Testament says about the Old and the connection of the two, that there's a priority, there's something better found in the New Testament than the Old, but that doesn't mean that the Old Testament is meaningless. The Old Testament cannot save us, but it's not meaningless. Now, when I say all of that, it drives us to a point of asking the question, well, then what is the purpose of the Old Testament? What's the purpose of it? Well, Paul gives us a hint in verse 21. He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Paul is saying in this statement, he says, the law may not be able to save us, but it's not contrary to the promise of God. It's not contrary, but it's actually complementary. There is something that God is doing through the Old Testament law that you and I need to be aware of that runs complementary to what he gives us in the new, to what he reveals to us in Christ. So we need to find out what that is. Charles Spurgeon, over a century ago, said this of this passage. He said, Neither the Jewish law of Ten Commands nor its law of ceremonies was ever intended to save anybody. It was not the intent of the ceremonial law in itself to affect the redemption of the soul. By a set of pictures, it set forth the way of salvation, but it was not itself the way. It was a map, not a country, a model of the road, not the road itself. And so we see in this, friends, that the Old Testament was a means to an end. Well, what was the meaning then of the Old Testament? Well, we've seen what it is not. Now we need to turn to see what it is. The first thing we see about what the Old Testament is, is the Old Testament is given because of sin. The Old Testament is given because of sin. Now, what in the world are we talking about when we say that the Old Testament is given because of sin? Now, I, I believe it's given as a gift because of sin, um, and in the same way that a tornado siren is a gift to us as well. Now, th think about this. It's May, and we live in Oklahoma, right? So all of us recognize the gift of the tornado siren. Now, we don't recognize that gift on Saturday at noon if you're trying to have a picnic in the park because it's loud and it's irritating and there's not a storm coming. But if that siren goes off and there's an F5 approaching Norman, then suddenly we understand it as a gift. And when that siren goes off, we do not run out of our houses and run to the tower where that siren is held and bow down before the, the, the tower and say, thank you, tower, for the alarm. No, what do we do? Instead, we run to the safe place. We run to our tornado shelter. We run to that interior closet. That's the purpose of that siren. In the same way, God in his grace gives us a siren of the law so that we would understand both the nature of our sin and its consequences so that we might not worship the law, but so that we might take our shelter in Christ, his provision for us. Andrew Jukes over a century ago, said this. He said, Satan would have us prove ourselves holy by the law, which God gave to prove us sinners. 
Now, Paul is, is very clear in this passage that one of the purposes of the Old Testament was to prove us sinners. And we see that right there in verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. Now, what does it mean that the law was added because of transgressions? Well, it means that the law was given to do something with sin. What was the law given to do with sin? Well, one of the things the law was given to do with sin was to restrain sin, to restrain sin. It's important for us to remember that the era of the law that we saw on that on that graphic earlier, was an era of about 1,500 years. It was a, a long period of time where God's people would, would live by the law. And when God gave the law, he gave it primarily to one nation. He gave it to the nation of Israel. And when he gave it to them, not only was it the story of God's relationship with them, but also embedded within it was really their constitution. It was how their society would function. And so the laws that God gives inside of the Old Testament provided a a way to restrain sin as God's people lived inside of a society. Think of the the laws that are inside of that. Things like do not kill and do not lie and do not covet, do not steal. A number of those laws that we're very familiar with inside of the Ten Commandments are given to help establish a society that can function with, with God as their king. But not only that, but there are also a number of other provisions of justice that God provided inside of the law for his people at that time. The idea of someone being able to get a fair trial. Somebody was accused of a crime. They could go to cities that God established inside of the law where they might be able to wait for a trial to come to prove their guilt or their innocence. That's a part of the law. The idea of, of leaving a margin on your field so that the poor and the traveler might be able to have something to eat. That's a part of the provisions inside of the law. And so God gave the law as a part to restrain sin among his people as they began to live in a society together for a period of some 1,500 years. And there's a number of principles that we can draw from that. And even today, a number of the laws that are on the books in our country and in many other countries are are based upon a foundation of the law that God gave to his people. And so we have a sense of the law restraining. And I think of Romans chapter 13 when I think of this concept where it says, would you have no fear that the one who is in of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. The idea is that when a law is set, it can help conform our behavior to a better standard. In the same way, God gave the law in part to restrain the sin of people as they were living inside of society. But he gave the law, not just to restrain sin, but also, friends, to reveal it. He gave the law to reveal sin inside of you, inside of me, and inside of his people Israel in the Old Testament era. That was one of the purposes of the law. Paul would reflect on this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, through the law comes a knowledge of sin. How do we know what sin is? How do we know that we're a sinner? Read the law, and it's pretty clear especially when we read it and understand it appropriately. Jesus would take the law and correctly interpret it to say, you know, it's not just, you know, do not commit adultery, but if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Not just don't murder, but if you look at someone and you wish they were dead, then you've committed murder in your heart. This idea of the standard of the law of God, when we accurately understand it, as we read the Old Testament, 
And even as we read commandments inside of the new, we realize that there is sin inside of us. It reveals sin to us. It's one of the things that happens. James gives an analogy of the law that is similar to a mirror. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and he forgets what he was like. It's the idea that the the law, we, we hold it up and we look into it and it reveals to us that we have some dirt on our face. It reveals to us that we have some sin in our lives. God gave the law graciously, by the way, gave us the law to reveal sin that is connected to us so that we would not go out and worship the tornado tower, but so that we would go to the safe place in Christ. This is the purpose that the law was given. And we see this inside of this explanation that Paul gives. So the Old Testament is given because of sin. Now, when we think of this concept, Warren Wiersbe helps us grasp it a little more when he says this, the law does not make us sinners, but it reveals to us that we are already sinners. The law is a mirror that helps us see our dirty faces, but you do not wash your face with the mirror. It is grace that provides the cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the law does not save us, but it reminds us and it points us to our need for salvation. Now, we've seen that the law was given because of sin. But a second reason why the law was given was to school us to Jesus. It was to school us to Jesus. The law had an educational component to it. Lived out over over a thousand years of, of human history with that history recorded for us in the Scripture so that we might come to know and understand a number of things about God and about us and about sin and about Christ. The law in the Old Testament was given to school us to Jesus. Well, what are those things that the law is schooling us on? Well, one of those things that the law is schooling us on, we need to remind that the law had a temporary role, right? It was given to operate until the offspring came. The law was schooling us, just like you have an elementary school teacher until you're in middle school, but then when you're done with elementary school, you're now in a middle school program. The same thing is, is true among our, our graduates. They, they've been schooled in an, in an educational system that has taken them to a certain point, but now they are graduated from that into something else. The law was to educate them to us to a certain point before we take on a new role, a new opportunity, a new way in Christ. Well, what are the things that the law is educating us on? Well, one of the things the law is educating us on is the consequence of our sin. Not only are we aware that we are sinners, but the law lets us know that because that sin, we find ourselves imprisoned and awaiting the judgment of God. Look at all the different times it is mentioned in this section. This is a scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. See, friends, the the law has this effect of not only revealing sin in us, but then reminding us of the payment that that sin requires. Think of the practice of the Old Testament law, specifically the ceremonial components of it. There was a 
a repetitive nature of the animal sacrifices that were a part of the Old Testament law. Why were they there? Well, they were there to instruct again and again and again and again and again that the wages of sin is what? Death. The sacrifices reminded them of that. Were the blood of those animals ever going to save them? No. Jesus had to die in their place as well. But they were instructed of the message of the fact that they had a death sentence over them because of their sin. And only God and His grace and His mercy and His promise could provide a sacrifice acceptable to pay that penalty. See, there's this educational component to the law. But, but not only does the law help remind us and let us know of the consequence of our sin, but also lets us know of the provision. I think it's interesting. It says here by Stott, the function of the law was not to bestow salvation, but to convince men of their need of it. As we read the Old Testament, as we read the New Testament, if, if, what we should take away from those things is that we are people in need of a Savior. If we do not understand that, then we have not accurately understood the Scripture. God is leading us someplace, and He is leading us to Christ. This concept is, is clear in verse 24, where He says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, this is a hard word to translate in English. Not because this word guardian is a hard word. That's not hard to say. We have an understanding of what that means. But the Greek word that lies behind this is a concept that really has no comparison inside of our culture. That's why if we lined up a number of different translations, you would see a number of different words used for that phrase. But what does the, the root word mean? The Greek word that lies behind that, what was the idea? What was the idea of a pedagogue? A pedagogue was someone in the first century who was a servant of the family, who would take responsibility for the discipline of the children. So a pedagogue would, would pick up the kids from school. He would make sure they minded their manners. They, if they stepped out of line morally, there would be punishment that would come from the pedagogue. They would make sure they learned what they needed to learn and progressed as they needed to progress. The role of the pedagogue was not a lifelong role, but it was a role that happened from when the child was young up until the time the child hit adolescent and became a young adult. That was the purpose of the pedagogue, to discipline the child up to a point, and then they became a man or woman. And in the same way, what we, what we see inside of this is that the law was like our pedagogue. It came alongside of us for a time and for a season to discipline us and to educate us for what we needed to know so that we would be prepared and ready to trust Christ as our Savior. So what are some of the things that we might learn if we, we allow the Old Testament to educate us? Well, there's a number of different things we, we could learn. One of the things we can learn is something about theology, God's attributes. As we look at the Old Testament, we see attributes of who God is. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can know that the God of the Old Testament is still the God who exists today. And so we might see something of the character of God, His holiness, His strength, His power, His love, His mercy, are all evident and found in the Old Testament as well as in the New. So one of the things we learn is something about God. 
But also, as we look at the Old Testament, we're educated as to anthropology, something about us, our human nature. As we look at the Old Testament figures, we see people who struggled and were sinful. They were broken just like you and I are. God wasn't just dealing with perfect people. He was dealing with people, people, which meant that they had problems. And so we see this problem of the frailty of our lives. Many times people will hold up the flaws of Old Testament figures and say, see there, how in the world can you say God is good when David was a murderer and an adulterer and God used him? Well, I would flip that around and say, there are murderers and adulterers today, both in actions and in thoughts, and God is gracious and merciful to him. Therefore, I learned something not only about me, but about God who can save me. We learn something about homartiology. It's a fancy word that talks about the study of sin and its consequences. We look at the Old Testament. We see that come clear through the sacrifices, through the admonitions. And we also see something of prophecy. Scripture that points to Jesus' first coming, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and then also his return again. The Old Testament is a pedagogue. It's a tutor that is guiding us for a time and a season to prepare us for Jesus and embracing the gift and the promise that God wants to offer us through him by faith. Now, the law cannot save us, but it's not meaningless. So how then do we read the law orderly? Well, the first thing I would say is to start with reading the New Testament. Now, that statement may seem confusing based on everything I've just talked about, but it need not be. See, when somebody gave you a Bible for the first time, they probably didn't explain to you how to use it. They just said, here's God's Word. It's awesome. And you go, great. And so you start reading it like you do any other book. You start on page one, and you begin to read it on page one, and that's great. And there's some great stuff in that first book. There's some confusing stuff, but some great stuff. But then you get somewhere near the end of Exodus, and you begin to scratch your head, and then you get into Leviticus, and you're totally lost. And and that's where all Bible reading plans go to die, right? (laughs) But part of the reason for that is that we have not taken the time to understand why the Old Testament was given. Nobody explained to you that The Old Testament is given to be a giant arrow to point you to your need for Jesus. So there's going to be some things you don't understand. There's going to be some things that happen in an era of time and life, but you need to understand Christ. So if if you're just beginning your faith journey today, begin with reading the New Testament. Start with a gospel. Start with a gospel of John. Start with a gospel of Mark. Get to know Jesus because he's the one that the Old Testament is going to point to. And if you don't know who Jesus is, you might not get that arrow understood correctly. Start with the New Testament. But then as you read the Old Testament, ask yourself a series of questions. First thing, ask, what can I learn about God from this? God's character, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What do I learn about God from the Old Testament? What do I learn about God from David and Goliath? What do I learn about God from the the proclamation of the Ten Commandments? What do I learn about God from the Exodus out of Egypt? It's a great question to ask as you read your Old Testament. Second thing, what do I learn about us? (laughs) What do I learn about us, about human nature, about God's interactions with people? We, we can see some of that as we look at these Old Testament accounts as well. The third thing we can ask is this, how does this point me to Christ? If the, the purpose of the Old Testament was to be our tutor, to be our pedagogue, to be our guardian unto Christ, then how does what I'm reading help point me to my need 
for Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of my sin and my hope for all eternity. See, friends, in this new way of Christ, we begin to understand the purpose for the old way of the law. It was never to save us, but it was always to point us to him. A number of years ago, I was teaching on something connected to this, and, and uh, I was talking about it with Josh Martin, who is a Wildwood member and, and, a, and a phenomenal artist. He does all the art for our VBS. It's an amazing art, piece of art that he, that he, that he does. Um, but I was talking about this concept, and he drew this picture for, for me. I've got this sitting on a shelf in my office because it's just such a great reminder. Uh, this, this picture shows the law as an, on a sign with an arrow pointing to Jesus. The purpose of the law is to point us to Christ, but there were those in the time of Paul, and there are those even still today, that rather than seeing the law for what it is, an arrow to Christ, instead bow down and worship the law. Let us not be like those who would do that. Let us understand the purpose for which God gave us this truth. And let's trust in Christ together. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this opportunity to open your word and study it today. I thank you for the explanation that you gave Paul because it helps us to understand how we are to use the gift of the first 39 books of our Bible. Father, may we not try to be saved by our efforts connected to the works of the law, but may we rest in Christ, the one to whom the law points. We thank you so much for our opportunity to look at this today. We pray that you would be honored as we trust you now as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen.